I think it was like 2011, 2012, right around that time frame. Dale calls Russ Dizdar and says he thinks that Damien's going to do something again. Legit scientists right now are positing that we live in a simulation. I feel like a lot of stuff is going on in the world that's brought up a lot of these conversations, even in our last couple episodes, just with UAP disclosure and, you know, the Nephilim agenda that we always come back to. The world largely rejects their message and treats them as hostile extraterrestrials who must be stopped at any cost. Hey campers, welcome back to another exciting episode of Camp Herman. We've got Tori P in the house. What's up, Tori? Hey, Chris. Tori, I'm excited. We've got some things to announce tonight, don't we? We certainly do. So hit me with that first one, Tori. Okay, well, the first one is super exciting. Um, a lot of you guys know Mike Stibbs. He has been our our creative director and will continue to be, but he's going to be stepping in in an even bigger way. And he's going to be here with me and Chris on every episode. We're going to try. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. So Mikey Stibbs is going to be in the house. He's going to be part of our shows. They're going to get a thousand times better. I'm excited for us and I'm excited for you guys. So that's, that's one second piece of exciting news. So, you know, we talked last week about Dr. Douglas Hamp joining us as a collaborative partner. Um, he's a scholar, so we're partnering with him to collaborate on podcast episodes, docuseries episodes. We've got a lot of awesome stuff coming down the pike. But for tonight's episode, we are going to be talking about the West Memphis Three. And our boy, Mikey Stibbs, has spent probably more hours than he would care to admit investigating the West Memphis three. So Mike, I'm going to throw to you and let you kind of introduce that topic. Tonight is, is camp Herman going true crime full force guys. This, the West Memphis three has every fringe conspiracy thing you could ever imagine tied into this case and so we are all about damian eccles the west memphis three and if you're if you're out there and you're thinking why are these christians talking about true crime why did mike spend all this time researching this and the answer is we as a culture have made the idea of Satanism as like a cartoon, almost. Rock bands that sing about Satan will just say, nah, we're not, we're just, it's just a song. It's just a song. It's just a style. It's just a shirt that represents Satan and the pinta. It's just, no, those things, when you're charging yourself and the atmosphere around you and your family with this stuff there is a possible effect that's going to happen and that's what happened with this guy damian eccles and he pulled a lot of people down with him so it's it's a really really crazy uh it was a crazy court case from 30 years ago and it still keeps showing up today in the news 
I am fascinated by this topic because when I was, gosh, when did the documentary? So HBO did a documentary. Well, it's become a series uh, called Paradise Lost. And Mike, when did that first documentary come out? Was it 94, 95? Yeah, I want to say I want to say 96. I think it went down, um, you know, in the years of 93 and 94. But I don't think it came out until 96. But I remember MTV was, um, you know, remember Kurt Loder, MTV News. Like he was they were all over that that case in real time as well because of the fact that it was being sold to everybody that they were, you know, being singled out because they had long hair and wore black shirts. Right. Yes. Yeah, so I remember I watched that documentary series when it premiered on HBO in 96 or whenever. So I would have been like about 12 years old and I'll never forget it because I was grew up in Indiana and we would come down to Tennessee to visit my aunt and uncle every summer. And so I watched it that summer that it came out like by myself at night, absolutely just terrified because and I'll let you kind of go into and and if you could take us all the way back for anybody that's not familiar with what happened, just kind of let's walk through all of that uh, from the beginning. But from what I remember, there's these three boys who they went missing and they end up finding their bodies. They were bound and I think they were in like a creek. They found them in like a creek bed. They were bound and it looked like they had been um, mutilated. And so they thought it was uh, some sort of like satanic rituals or things that had been been done to them. And then so, yeah, so then they they single out uh, Damien Eccles uh, and uh, who were the other two guys? Jesse, uh, uh, Miss Kelly Jr. And Jason Baldwin. And Jason Baldwin, who... Um, you know, I don't know, would you consider them? I don't know if they would be considered like goth, but kind of like, well, in that camp somewhere. Well, that's, that's a one part about the narrative that kind of is a little bit misleading too, but yeah, they were just like metalheads. Um, Damien, Damien was, was full on into the occult is full on into the occult. Um, but yeah, you, you would have, they would have just been those like, you know, goth, heavy metal rocker stoner dudes at school, you know, that, you know, they didn't, they didn't really fit in with the jocks or anything like that. But, but yeah, I mean, so you're looking, you're looking at, at 1993, um, and it, it, this story starts out exactly like stranger things starts out the first season of stranger things where the kids go out on their bikes and one of them doesn't come home. Right. Well, this one, it was all three of them didn't come home. They found them the next day, like you said, and they had no idea who did it. And they, um, they started talking, you know, to the neighbors, they started talking to people around town and there was a detective he was um, in charge of like the youth. Like, so these cops, detectives and whatnot, they get a feel of the street, of who's on the street, 
who's doing what, who's doing what type of drugs and all this stuff. Like they, they build relationships on the street and his name was Jerry driver. And he had mentioned when he heard about it, he had mentioned Damien Eccles and said, you, you're going to want to look into this kid because that's one of his spots that he would go to. And so they, they began to question him. They eventually broke in the cops broke into, you know, Damien's his uh, mobile home and arrested him. And then they went and picked up Jesse Miss Kelly later. You know, it, it really, it was really weird because three kids die in a very sophisticated manner. And now the cops are accusing, you know, Damien Eccles of doing this thing. Um, you know, if we go into the documentary part of it, the Paradise Lost documentary, which I, th I feel like everybody should watch it because it is it's almost an indictment of just the media of how they twist things and can change a narrative um, at any time. But there was there's something off with this dude, Damian Eccles. Now, what happened basically is they did get released after, you know, being in jail for 20, I think it was 18 years. And they were finally able to get off on a couple of technicalities that where there was some new evidence that came in. But like I said, it's still, it's still in the news today. You had the, the story of fallen angels in it, right? You had Alistair Crowley in it. You had Damian Eccles. His mental state was questionable. And he um, definitely fits the profile of a disassociative di identity disorder, a DID. And we've talked with you know Jason Pillow regarding that. And so there's all of these fringy elements that are wrapped into this, this case, the court case, and even the continuance of it still ending up in the news um, from here on and here out. So, yeah. So basically, these three kids got killed. They didn't, they didn't know who did it. And then they kind of did single out Damien. But... It didn't really when you when you go through the evidence, they didn't really just single him out because he had black hair and a black shirt. You know, there was there was very, very good reason to suspect him. Mike, you mentioned a connection to fallen angels. Uh, can you expound on that? Where, where was that? Where's that connection in this uh, this story? It actually uh, came from. Derek Gilbert. Derek Gilbert is the one. He's actually guilty of getting me on the West Memphis three. And like, I just emailed Derek Gilbert, like on a whim. I was like, hey, man, you want to come on and, and do a video with me? And like, dude, the he emailed me back and he's like, yeah, let's do it. And he's like, you should come on my show, too. And I was like, so stoked. So I'm interviewing Derek Gilbert about the um, the second coming of Saturn. And within the second coming of Saturn, you know, just as kind of like an anecdotal thing in his research, he found that Damien Eccles today, this is this is in current times, Damien's close to 50 right now. And he is he writes books on the occult. 
But Damien claims to have channeled Enlil. That got me intrigued because Damien is saying that he channeled Enlil and that he is coming to institute a new age. And it just has Bible prophecy, um, you know, implications all over it. Not that, you know, Damien is doing it for those reasons. You know, he's talking about this entity coming in to start a new age. You know, as we know it, I know there's a lot of debate, a lot of different opinions. Um, I like Dr. Doug Hamp. Um, he's got some stuff, some research on um, the Mount Hermon where, it, where there was, you know, a stele that was written that translates to Enlil and shows it to draws it back to basically it being Satan. Right. And, um, you know, when somebody says that they don't worship Satan, but then they do. And you know what I'm saying? Like, I got a problem with that. I got a problem with you trying to teach people something and then saying, no, it's not, it's not what you think. You know what I mean? And that's kind of why that's where I started. Like, oh, man, I'm going to this story's got so many twists and turns in it. Like, like and I see it from a little bit different perspective um, because I kind of was Damien when I was that age. I was that kid and I could have ended up like that, you know. And um, so, yeah, it got me intrigued. But yeah, Derek Gilbert um, was the one who got me on that. And so. He is writing books today on the occult. He is basically the equivalent, the modern day equivalent to Aleister Crowley, how he was back in, in the late 18, 1800s, early 1900s. From what I remember in the, at least the first documentary, and I think there's like three or four uh, follow-up, docs to that first paradise lost from what i remember they kind of tried to paint him obviously like he was he's in, he was innocent but that like he wasn't actually into occult practices you know he just you know he liked heavy metal music and he liked to wear you know black clothes so you're saying that he was involved with the occult back then and then obviously still is if he's channeling yeah. Satan. <laughs> yeah. So if you, um, so, so that, yeah, so there's a, there's three paradise lost documentaries and then there was one documentary called uh, West of Memphis that was produced by Lord of the Lord of the Rings director, Peter Jackson. He funded the film um, and paid everybody that was in that, in that documentary um, and I don't want to give away too much. I want to encourage the listeners here to go and watch the first four episodes of my documentary. It's called The West Side of Saturn. There is a fifth and final one coming. I have no idea when, but it is going to eventually drop. But these my documentaries are questioning those documentaries and calling it out. And so there's a website that actually has ha, has brought all of the evidence together. And and you can anybody 
with a computer can go through this evidence and you can you can put it up against things that are said in the documentary and it is it is absolutely day and night like they are liars like 100% um the guys that that directed the movie they they said they claimed that they went down there and they got they got commissioned by HBO to go down there when they heard about the case and they thought it would be you know an interesting documentary to make and they weren't you know they weren't judging the innocence or guilt of these guys but after they released the first documentary which was a little bit kind of a uh, objective i thought it was i thought that they I, I thought that they portrayed it just the way it was supposed to be. But then people started watching it and were like, no, these guys are innocent. These guys are innocent. And when the directors made the second and third one, like they flipped the script and were just making it like as an assumption, like, no, they're innocent and they're the, the victims, you know, within this, you know, and it's just not the case when you go through the evidence. Now I'm not saying they're guilty, um, I'm not saying that they're innocent, but there are basic facts that are absolutely lied about. And why is that? Why why would they do that? When I mean, and all the evidence is very clear. It's right there to for anybody to see. Yeah, you know, Mike, I remember in, I don't remember if it was the second or the third one, they are interviewing people that are a part of they're doing, I don't know, they're doing like letter, uh, letter writing campaigns. They've got this, oh, it's like an advocate group that are actively trying to get these guys out of out of prison. And so, yeah, definitely I can see how the, the second and the third one, they're completely uh, subjective. So you mentioned a website where people can go where it has all the evidence. What is, what is that website? Yeah, it's called Callahan8.com. Um, we'll, we'll link it up um, in the YouTube description and in the notes for the podcast if people are interested in it. Um, and Tori, feel free, if you don't know anything about this, feel free just to jump in, ask any question you want. I don't, like, again, I don't want to give away too much because I want people to watch it, but um, I can go into... Um, you know, which I find very interesting is the whole idea that, you know, Damien was possibly possessed uh, by demons and that he disassociated because there's a lot of evidence that points towards that. That was my first question. Did he actually say the name Enlil? Yeah. Yeah. He said so within that, um, which which was this wasn't back then. This is just recently. But yeah, he said he was channeling angels because he, he that's what he teaches people to do just like alistair crawley did where they they literally will channel an angel and speak with it and commune with it and really there's like some sort of like symbi symbiotic relationship um that you you're you're after kind of like you know us christians with holy spirit but yeah he said he saw the name enlil written across the sky yeah that seems very shady to me because I had literally never heard that name before until we did that episode with Doug. Yeah. And so, you know, Enlil, I mean, it goes back 
I mean, Enlil is the old, one of the oldest gods that you can find in the pantheons, you know, in the old, you know, esoteric pantheons. And, you know, when you're, when you say that you don't worship something evil, and then, you know, you're, you're directly talking about Enlil, who Derek Gilbert makes the case that Enlil is Saturn, is Marduk, right? Is the God that the Israelites were told not to sacrifice their children to, right? And so you have it in the Bible where God is literally saying, do not do what your Gentile neighbors are doing by, by doing these like say like these satanic rituals. And here you got this Yahoo that's like trying to teach people, yeah, man, like I could channel Enlil, man. It's totally cool. I don't worship Satan. No, you you're evil. You you're 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 asking an evil entity. From, from history, one of the oldest ones to come in and inhabit and have a symbiotic relationship with you. How is that okay? So in 2002, right? And this is what I find, I found very interesting. And I got Jason Pillow. He, he came in and he did a couple of interviews with me regarding it because um, Jason Pillow, you know, he's suffered from, he was an SRA, an SRA victim and dealt with, um, disassociative identity disorder to where you black out and you know you can you do things and you black out and you don't remember and so in 2002 um the defense attorneys hired a psychiatrist to evaluate damien and there is so the the list is so long of just the negative things that were you know legit wrong with him but one thing that he would do is he would have blackouts for an hour, sometimes two hours, where he he just blacked out and he had no recollection of what would happen. And he would just, you know, all of a sudden come to and like two hours have passed. And so, again, I don't want to give away too much. Go watch, go watch the documentaries and wait for the fifth one. But I'm asking the question. I'm asking the question, is it possible that a person could kill somebody or kill three kids and not remember it and really think that they're innocent? Like, I'm just asking that question. Is that possible? And I think it is, especially, you know, if you mix in somebody who has a real mental illness, right? And then they're asking these entities to come in and to play, right? Like Damian Eccles clearly did as a kid, you know, and you, you take those two, you put them together. It just, it just seems like a scenario that is possible. Like, again, I'm not saying I think that that's what it is, but I'm saying it's possible. He has all of the attributes of somebody who is capable of having an episode like that. And um, the guy's got a long history. And to say, again, to say that he was singled out because he had long hair and wore black shirt is it's just your it's just the it, it's a false statement. You know, he had been in jail before. 
you know, um, many times. Actually, I think he was in jail two times with two different priors. Um, and he has all of the attributes of somebody who is capable of having an episode like that. And um, the guy's got a long history. And to say, again, to say that he was singled out because he had long hair and wore black shirt is it's just your it's just the it, it's a false statement. You know, he had been in jail before, you know, um, many times. Actually, I think he was in jail two times with two different priors um, to where of doing some really weird stuff. You know, he got arrested one time and he was trying to bite his roommate's arm off. You know, I mean, he took his arm. He's like biting it. You know, I don't worship Satan. I didn't I didn't do this. Why are you singling me out? That is so, so scary. And I know we've talked about the film um, Nefarious before about the guy who's demon obsessed and also, not to like give too much of a spoiler about that, but like he's demon possessed. He's in jail. He's about to be executed, and um, and it's pretty similar. Like, because he doesn't like the demon will show up and be talking, and then like, yeah, and he'll do something, and the guy won't remember doing it. You know, and I kind of think that makes sense because I don't really know how that goes, but I feel like you would you'd be blacked out and like someone else is operating you, you know? So like you wouldn't have a memory of doing it because like you didn't do it. It was like you're, you've been hijacked, you know, right. you're almost like a, you know, how like a cop would like stop a car and steal the car from somebody, <laughs> you know, it's like, right. you know, like these entities will just come in and if, if they got a foothold, you know, I, I think it's possible. I, I really do. I think that, I think that science will never be able to reconcile something like that because it's supernatural and you're not going to be able to measure it. But I think that there's there's a, a good enough case to where, you know, and we've seen enough of that stuff happen, you know, that's been reported and documented that, you know, you can't really argue the facts. I mean, you can you can argue that somebody's faking it or they're lying, but, you know, there, there are evil entities that are after people. They, they want in because they want to fulfill the lust of the flesh because they don't have a body anymore. And that's what they do. Yeah. And, and a and little it, bit different than we're profiling this guy because he likes metal music. <laughs> you know what? Hey, look, listen, you know, for me, for me as a Christian is I... I tend not to listen to secular music. Now, you know, that's just my personal preference at this point in my life. I've got no problem with anybody listening to whatever type of music you like to listen to. But there is, I just want to say though, that you're, you are charging the atmosphere around you, you know, and I, and I could just say it like this, if you don't believe me, then only listen to like Metallica and Tool for a month and then listen to like Jesus Culture for a month. See see which month is going to be the better month for you is all I'm saying, you know, is that we as Christians, we do need to, you know, we do need to be careful what goes through our ears and how we process that. 
and how attached and how seduced we are by music and art in general, because it's it's there to solicit a, an emotional response from us. You know, that's the reason why it's there. And even if you look at this, this is kind of just like a side note. If you look at the word entertainment, right? And you just break it down, right? Like just break it down. Like you have the word enter, okay? And then you have the word tainment, which came from the word detainment, right? So if you say it in a different way, entertainment is you are being detained for entry. Wow. It's right there in the word. We watch television programs, right? Programs. Just saying. Christians, not saying don't watch stuff, not saying don't listen to stuff, but the how you process it and whether you let yourself you know, get into that. Like I like, dude, I'm, I'm telling you, I've been down that road, man. I, I am a true crime buff and I like documentaries. Um, so it's, it's like twofold. I like documentaries and I like true crime. And so I like true crime documentaries, but if I sit there and I watch that stuff every day, all day, it's going to like change my mind. We're just, I'm just charging that atmosphere. And so that's where I keep saying, right. That we got to be honest with ourselves, you know, when we're, when we let this stuff come in and we have to know that there's an effect. And when it comes to Damien Eccles and people like him and, and the behaviors that they start exhibiting, it does affect, you know, it, it may not affect everybody, but it's going to affect a certain percentage of people. And, you know, Damien Eccles was was obviously very, very influenced um, with all of this occult stuff. And he sh it's, it's still there today. And it's like, man, we can't we got to we got to call a spade a spade is all I'm saying, you know. And, you know, I understand again, I understand like I don't put my my laws my personal laws that i make like not to not to watch something or not to listen to something i don't put that on somebody else because they may not feel that way but you see i i grew up i played in a rock band for the first you know half of my life and spent time doing that and so when i hear when i hear a song from back in the day and it brings up nostalgia, it brings up so much more than it might bring up for somebody else. And it gets me to remember the clubs and the smell and getting high and all that stuff. You know what I mean? And so I don't put that on anybody else as a law, but individually, it's like we have to recognize if we're letting stuff come in to our ears. We're letting stuff come in through our eyes. We have to be honest with ourselves and say, you know what? I feel convicted. I feel like Holy Spirit within me is saying, I don't like this. And if you have that conviction, then, then try to move away from, from that. And I'm, I don't I'm not, I don't mean to turn this into like a sermon, but Again, I'm not putting that on on Christians at all. I know, you know, my boy Kenny C plays heavy metal music, has his whole life. He teaches kids guitar and he's has he he uses it as a ministry and it doesn't it's 
it doesn't affect him like the way it would like affect me. But we're all we're all individuals. We all have an individual relationship with Christ. And it's important to be sensitive to that. If I remember correctly, did one of the three, and it may have been Jesse, Miss Kelly, did one of them give some sort of admission of guilt, but then later it was retracted? So let's go, let's go back just a little bit here and I'll give a little bit more details again, go and watch the West, the West side of Saturn. Um, In addition to that, guys, you can listen to those as podcasts. They are documentaries with lots of visuals in them. But if you are a podcast listener, they translate to the podcast realm just as good. It's just a story. I'm telling the story and I'm, you know, I'm taking you through it. But yeah, so Jesse Miss Kelly um, confessed to the crime that him, Damian Knuckles, and Jason Baldwin did it. And then later he recanted that confession. Um, in court, they brought in they uh they brought in like a false confession expert, right? Like they have all these different experts. Um, but a coerced, a coerced confession is actually quite common. And I looked into it just as a side thing to see how common it was for people to confess to crimes that they didn't commit. And surprisingly, it happens a lot. And uh, Netflix has a true crime docu-series on that called Confessions. And it goes through and, you know, it points, it, it shows these stories of some of these people sometimes you know, uh, admitting guilt to a crime they did not commit. So it's very interesting. But this dude, after he got sentenced the first time, he gets in the cop car and he confesses to the guys driving, driving him there. They asked him like, hey, man, how'd you do it? And the whole way from the courthouse to the jailhouse, he's telling them how he did it. And he's got he's that's the second confession. Believe it or not, he confessed a third time. He asked the he asked them to bring a Bible in. They call it the Bible confession. And he confessed. He told the whole coherent story of it. Right. And it makes a lot of sense. And you can get it. I have I play in a, I think it's the fourth episode. I play a lot of that Bible confession and it's very, very coherent. Now I understand why some people think it's not real. That's okay. You can think it's not real, but I think that's the real story. So the the thing about it is they kept saying, the police kept saying that this was a satanic ritual, right? I don't see that. I don't see that in the evidence at all. I do see that, you know, and when you say like a ritual, right, you're talking like you're picturing like a church service, like you're doing something that's a ritual, like you're wearing hoods and stuff and all this crazy stuff that did not happen. There's no evidence for that. There is some hearsay. And I talk about that as well in the documentary. um, But that's where I think the police got it wrong. I think the police got it wrong and tried to push it as a ritual. And that's what 
eventually got them into trouble and kept the case alive, even though they were convicted, it kept it going, you know, for the, the different appeal processes and, and whatnot. So yeah, Jesse Miss Kelly, that dude's got three confessions under his belt and they finally just told him, you know, you're not allowed to talk anymore. You're done because he was working against the, you know, against the other two guys that, you know, Jason Baldwin, he seems innocent. Damian Eccles at times seems innocent and at times seems guilty to me, depending on what piece of evidence I'm looking at. Um, again, though, go watch the the docu series. It's I I it's my favorite my favorite set of videos I made. Yeah, no, it's it's awesome. And so you guys can you can find them on the Camp Pramon youtube channel but you know what we'll go ahead and link those uh we'll put those links to those in the show notes and mike what about this what if we publish the audio for those as uh, podcast episodes for anyone that just wanted to listen to it dude absolutely i'll I'll, we'll, we'll drop them tomorrow we'll just drop them right on spotify and people can listen to them yeah, that'd be awesome. Yes. Um, Mike, I don't think it's crazy either for like you were saying at the beginning for a Christian to be getting into true crime. True crime was the gateway drug for me for for getting into all of this. I mean, I loved true crime podcasts and I feel like learning about what happened in Genesis is kind of like the biggest true crime, you know? Yeah. No, that's so true. Like even if you look at like the, you know, the story of Jesus, that that is a, cr- a true crime documentary ready to be made from that point of view, you know, and I think we've had as a culture and this whole true crime phenomenon uh, is not new. I mean, we have been as Americans, we've been addicted to true crime since television was in our room. I mean, you know, since we've we've had the television and it's not it's not going to stop and. You know, there is in some of these satanic type of crimes, you know, and also, you know, just real quick shout out to Russ Dizdar. Love that guy. I loved that guy. He's now he's he's late Russ Dizdar. But if you are newer to the fringe realm is start just searching Russ Dizdar on YouTube and go to his uh, website, Shadow of the Darkness. He is he is so well versed in all of this stuff. So yeah, again, Shadow the Darkness, Rust is Dar. He's got some really good stuff. Um, basically, he's kind of like a, uh, a an investigator of satanic crimes, and he's he used to uh, work for the police as a consultant. And um, oh yeah, that was interesting too. So I, after I dropped the first episode of uh, the West Side of Saturn, um. This dude hits me up through Facebook, Tom Dunn, and I knew who he was. I never really watched any of his stuff, but Tom Dunn worked with Russ Dizdar and Tom Dunn was like, he, he like, it's like this message, like, Hey man, I gotta, I gotta talk to you about your documentary. And I was like, I felt like I, I was like, gonna be like reprimanded, you know, like he was gonna be like, no, everything you say is wrong. You know, and so he uh, he calls me up and we start talking and he's like, no, nah, man, I loved it. He goes, I got more information for you. 
He's, he goes, the guy that was used as an expert in the occult trained us, trained me and Russ Dizdar like four or five times in how to um, identify like satanic, you know, uh, to, to be able to look at a crime scene and know if it was done um, for satanic ritual purposes. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is all I'm talking to a guy that was talking, you know, to the guy that's on the stand that was a part of the case. And, you know, I didn't put this part in the documentary because I just, for some reason, I felt like I couldn't. But Tom Dunn tells me, he says, Mike, he goes, and this guy, the guy's name was Dale Griffiths. If you see the documentaries that the original ones that were made, the Paradise Lost ones, they they basically make fun of him in all the documentaries. It's really bad. I feel bad for the guy. But nevertheless, he was an expert in the occult. And I think it was like 2011, 2012, right around that time frame, Dale calls Russ Dizdar and says he thinks that Damien's going to do something again after because he had just gotten released and that he felt that Damien was going to do something. Now, Tom kind of chalks it up to, you know, an old man kind of being paranoid. And that's maybe why I didn't I didn't put that part in there. But I was I was blown away like that. Tom Dunn was like, you know, hit me up through through Facebook wanting to talk. And then so, yeah, he ends up, you know, being a part of the docuseries because it's, you know, multiple episodes. Such a great man of God. Such a cool uh, little side story there for that, too. So, yeah, props to Tom Dunn and through the black over there. I love those guys. Did Damien do something else? No. Not that he has been caught for. <laughs> yeah, not that we know of yet. Let me say this because I'm I'm kind of being ambiguous with a lot with a lot of this because I like I, again I want I want people to go I want them to sit I sit down listen to it watch it uh, because all of the twists and turns will be there but when you when you dance with the devil when you investigate stuff like that okay you will get messed with right. You have to be strong. You have to know that you can handle this stuff when you go into it. It's it's heavy stuff. It's tough to hear it. It's tough to see it. You can feel yourself being seduced by just that the just the evil. You, I could feel it when I was you know when I would be doing some of this research, and. Um, you know, you got to be able to stand strong if you're going to if you're going to go in and talk about this stuff and research this stuff. And that's why, you know, it's like, you know, guys like Russ Dizdar, uh, Tom Dunn, you know, Jason Pillow that that basically, you know, give their lives to this type of stuff. You know, somebody has got to infiltrate, you know, and 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 be the light in the dark places, you know. Not everybody's strong enough, though, you know, and I don't know if I am. I mean, it 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 definitely messed with my head. You know, um, I had a few incidences right around the time that I was making the documentary that that really 
got me thinking like, shoot, man, is this like some sort of like spiritual retaliation? And um, it was funny because the whole premise of, you know, the, the Paradise Lost documentaries is you know, they were singled out because they wore black, had long hair. Right. So um, I'll take you guys on a side story real quick. So one night um, my and this is when my wife was she was still pregnant and uh, we have two stepkids or I have two stepkids. They're her kids and they were they were away with their dad. So it was just me and her. And it's about 10 o'clock at night and she's taking a shower and I'm chilling on the bed. And all of a sudden I hear like this on the door. And I'm like, that's not a happy knock. Right. Um, so I go to the door nobody's there. So I'm like, okay, somebody's messing with us. Go back into the room and our, the the bathroom's like off to the side and there's a window that's right on the street that is the the window to the bathroom and i hear this guy knocking on the bathroom window so i come back around i see the guy i see the guy and he sees me and so i run i try to go outside i was going to try to see who it was and he's gone Right. Next day, I'm driving down the street in our, in our neighborhood and I see the kid that did it. It was just a kid. He's like, you know, 14, whatever. But guess what? Long hair wearing black. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm thinking to myself, like, is this like, is this. Is this spirit trying to, like, intimidate me or is this like a chance for me? to like minister to this kid right you know to like call him out on it like hey bro like what the heck were you doing you know you could have got shot this is montana you come on my property i can shoot your head off you know and i'm okay <laughs> um and so it was just like these like you know this it just stuck out in my head you know as being like is this a part of that no probably not but here at the same time, you know, here's this impressionable youth, you know, that's right around the same age as Damien Eccles was when he, you know, got in trouble for doing what he, you know, may have did or may not have done. Right. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I want to I want to beat this kid up, you know, and then but Holy Spirit and he's like, no, you have to minister to him like you have to. You know, you have to reach out to him in love, you know, and that's what, you know, maybe nobody did to Damien, you know, maybe no, no spirit filled Christian came across him, you know, and not to blame, not to blame Christians on that. But, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think we can affect somebody's future with a small act of, of kindness. And that's. You know, that's kind of where I ended up. Now, I never ended up being able to confront the kid. I never saw him around the neighborhood again. But believe you me, I was going to confront him. Like, you don't do that in my house. This is, my, this is the first house I've lived in my entire life, too. I'm, like, so protective of it, you know? So, but yeah, just crazy stuff, man, with 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 this. If when you go into this realm, you're, you will get messed with. You will have weird dreams. 
you, you, they, they will just mess with you and they'll see how much they can mess with you. And so I don't wish that on anybody, you know, Psalms 91 over everybody right now in Jesus name. Wow. What you were saying about like, um, ministering to that kid though, or like loving on him just made me think about our conversation. I don't know how many episodes ago, but about like spiritual warfare, including just really basic things that Jesus told us to do, like loving our neighbor, praying for those who persecute you, you know, like showing mercy when most people wouldn't and forgiving people and like having a gentle response and how that's warfare and like that can move things in the spirit realm that like we'll probably never see, but like it's powerful, you know? No, absolutely. I mean, and it, and it really is powerful because the thing is I, you know, it says that the anger of man will never produce the righteousness of God. That that is such a profound statement that that we find and when we act in kind you know we are the fool at that moment you know we don't we we don't act in kind and i think like you know and i say this because we're all every christian everybody's different we're all you know uh at a different point in our process of being sanctified. And some of us are further down the rabbit hole than others and so on and so forth. So we're all on this journey, but we're all at different places. And I think like Jesus, when he gave the Sermon on the Mount and he's, he's you know, they call it the Beatitudes and he's talking about how a Christian should be. I think he's talking about like, like, I don't just want you to respond this way. Like, I don't just want you to bless those that curse you and to love your enemies and to pray for those who spitefully use you. I want that to be the, the, like the reflex, like your first, your first response, like instead of having to, you know, bring back your anger, get to that point where you can pray for your enemies. I think he, I think Jesus is saying, if you come to me, I'm going to get you to that place where you can live above the demonic realm and you will see different. You will see the world in a different way and people won't be able to affect you the same way because you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. I'm going to give you my eyes and you're just, you're going to, you're not going to just float around, but you're going to understand the warfare behind the person that's in front of you and what they're dealing with. And that's going to break your heart. And that's going to move you into a place of compassion. And that's what I think Jesus is after. Like when he wants people to follow him, is he truly wants you to be in love with the the person that's in front of you i mean in love that you love them enough to not respond to their action and and give them what they deserve or give them what they've got coming to them but give them the same thing that you got and that i got and that was grace and mercy and forgiveness and when we do that it does it breaks like people freak out, like, 
Why are you telling me that you love me when I just did something evil to you? It's like, dude, it just makes the demonic realm so upset. You know, it's almost like they just have to get out of the way, you know, and it is powerful. I've seen it so many times. I love it. Not always there, you know, being honest, especially the past couple of years, you know, with having a little kid and not sleeping, you know, a lot, you know, I'm a little bit, a little bit short and, uh, but yeah, it, it, it is available that, that, that mindset is definitely obtainable or Jesus wouldn't tell us to have it. You know, so when you said for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, which I just looked up is James one twenty. Um, when you said righteousness, I was like, which, which piece on the full armor of God is righteousness. And so I looked that up too. And it's the breastplate. So <clears throat> the whole armor of God finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace and all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of god praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication and you could go on. That's Ephesians six. You guys should definitely read it. But Mike, what does a breastplate do? As someone who's not really familiar with armor, I mean, the fir my first thought is it protects your heart. You know, it, it's you know, it's like that that thing that you know they they would wear it protects protects your heart, protects your your the most vital organs of your body. You know. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So so the breastplate of righteousness and then and then we know anger will never produce the righteousness of god so i feel like yeah to like protect our heart and like our vital organs we have to like keep anger <laughs> out of there you know because it's like the opposite of the breastplate we're supposed to be wearing i mean and it's hard like like i i like i can hear a sermon on this and i can get all motivated and then go you know go to Taco Bell and they mess up my order and I, I yell at the guy. Right. And that's, that's the disconnect that so many of us have, but it, there is, like I said, there is this place when you're, when you're seeking Jesus and you get to that place where you can literally see the world in a different way and you understand, and then you don't get, you don't get ticked off. Right. And you, you begin to look at those uh, situations um, as opportunities to share your faith or just even not even to share your faith, but to display your faith. Well, just just with the anger, because it's really hard for me, too. And I feel like fear and anger go hand in hand. So often, like a lot of times, anger is actually fear coming out or a lot of times fear is anger i don't know but like we do know that fear like totally clouds our judgment you know and like the bible commands us over and over and over to like fear not 
but I'm just picturing this scenario, like you at your house with your pregnant wife, like this precious, like everything that's precious to you in the world. And then there's this like kid who's like causing fear. I mean, in the moment, and you didn't know that it's a kid, right? But like, basically how, how impossible would it be in that moment for you to like show love to this person? Um, for me, it would be really hard. I mean, if I think someone's like threatening me, um, physically, emotionally, any other way, like I'm going to like, <laughs> I'm going to react like with anger or with something, you know, like being defensive, but, um, yeah, I don't know. But like just thinking about like the wisdom and like the godliness it would require to like slow down in that moment, because it's like, if you could remove the fear from the situation, then it's like the fog would go away and you could like see this for what it is. And like, it's a kid who needs love probably badly, you know? Um, I don't know. I'm just thinking about that. And like, I get just as like a challenge to myself, like, you know, cause I'm a hothead and I just like react to stuff, you know, but like if we could learn like through the spirit to like slow down and like remove fear from the situations, like how much, like how differently would our reactions look and like we'd actually give the spirit room to like move through us because it's not just going to be like us lashing out at somebody or something you know I don't know no that's no it it's a it's a great point I mean yeah it's you know fear even just the physiological response or the physiological stuff that's going in on our going on in our body is clouding us because you know, our cortisone or our cortisol goes through the roof and we have this like fight or flight response. It's a drug for a lot of people too, you know, anger, disappointment or anger, resentment and, and all this stuff. It, it's, it, it becomes a drug and, you know, people get addicted to it and they cannot control themselves, you know, and you, you let that in and you keep letting it in and it just, it'll start taking over and it'll it'll change you for the for the worse, man. I'm, and I'm just saying, you know, like, um, you know, people might be like listening to this and like, oh man, like I want my relationship with Jesus to be so good that like I don't fear and that I can look at these things as opportunities to share my faith or to display my faith, right? And it's like there's no secret. It's so easy. Just the only thing I, the, the, the advice I give you is just wake up in the morning. And even if it's one chapter, read your Bible and I'm preaching to myself and however you pray, if you pray in the spirit, if you pray in your understanding, however you do is connect with him, even if it's for a couple of minutes and you will find, yeah. yeah and you'll find that you will start becoming closer to Jesus and Jesus will use you for his ministry um, more and more. Yeah. So, and you'll um, just see situations differently, you know, like perfect love casts out fear and like, we know God is love. And so drawing near to him, like the source of love, like you're just going to see things differently and you're going to see people differently. You know, when, when you read the gospels and Jesus is confronted by a demon, right. Or by somebody who is demonized as the language says, is like he had he knew like if you picture like what he saw right like if it was like a movie and and if you know jesus has access to let's say the unseen realm 
at the same time as the earthly realm, he probably sees the whole fight that's going on around them. And he's like, oh my gosh, like you are so beat up and you're, you're sad. You're depressed. You're, I mean, just get out, right? Leave this person alone. Right. And that should be obtainable for us to be able to get to the point where we can see and have compassion for people like that, you know? And I, I, like, I, like I said, I think it's obtainable. Um, you know, God is so good. He's so kind. He's so patient. And, you know, we, we need him. We need, we need to be connected and to commune with him if we want to be counted worthy, you know, um, End times may may be here, may not be here, but time, regardless, it's going to get worse out there. And we need you, God. We need the people that are listening to this. We need we need the light out there. So let's go, guys. Beautifully said, my friend. Thank you for joining us, uh, Mike. Man, we're excited to have you on with us on a more or less a permanent basis, man. This is exciting. And yeah, we are going to link the West Side of Saturn episodes that Mike has, those that docuseries that Mike has made in the show notes. And then we will also drop those episodes uh, on the podcast platforms for those of you that want to just listen to it as well. Uh, so we appreciate you for joining us. Guys, if you want to support Camp Ramon, you can go to campramon.com, become a member, Buy some merch, go to kevlarjoe.com, buy some coffee, use the promo code CAMPHERMON10, and yeah, we love you guys, we appreciate you. Camp on, Tori. Camp on, Chris and Mike. Shalom. (laughs) (laughs) Until next time. They came down to top vanity, brought the proliferation of humanity. Ayy, fallen sons of the most high God took advantage of the planet he made. Forming a holy alliance of evil and look at the daughters of Adam and Bane. That the flood rain came to restore his creational order to how he arranged. Put the disembodied spirits of the giants still want a war, still want to kill in the court. To see the blood of the innocent spill on the floor. That's the demoniac and the kind of Yeshua combined. The healer restore his image bearers in his second chance when he coming back because he bringing a sword. This ain't a planned sermon, it's a welcome to Camp Herman. Yeah. Welcome to Camp Herman. This ain't a planned sermon, it's a welcome to Camp Herman. Yeah. Welcome to Camp Herman.